Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransfield PR. Welcome to We Built This City. With this podcast, I wanted to shine a light on the people who have put the heart into modern Manchester. You can build a city with bricks and mortar, but it's the people that make Manchester great. People like my guest, Phil Mayle. Places change and you need to be invested personally to sense those changes. Phil is a board director of Salford Headquartered Muse Developments and has led the team on the regeneration of 50 acres of Salford from New Bailey behind Spinning Fields and the communities along Chapel Street and now is about to start a 2.5 billion regeneration master plan around Salford Crescent, working with the University of Salford and Salford City Council. Over the past 25 years, I've loved working with so many property developers who help to create legacies for future generations by creating spaces for communities to live and breathe and grow in Greater Manchester. Phil is no exception. When he talks, you'll hear his passion for regeneration and his deep sense of responsibility and respect for the people who come together through this work, whether it's the people working on the projects or the people the projects are for. So what values drive someone like Phil to create places for others to enjoy? And how does someone like Phil impact the spaces in which you and I live, work and play across Greater Manchester? Phil, welcome to We Built The City. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for inviting me. We've worked together going back for some years now, so I'm really interested. It's a bit kind of a trip down memory lane, this to some degree. So you've been helping to build the city for over 14 years as a board member of Muse Developments. And I suppose in the world of regeneration, you'd be known as a placemaker. So can you explain exactly what a placemaker is? The term placemaker has really evolved since when I first started, or we first started development. It was all about what happened inside four walls and a roof. And that's pretty much where it started and ended, to be honest. It's evolved now. It's more about what happens in between. It's more about what happens in relation to the community and it's more about how you connect that place well beyond the boundaries, the, re- the traditional red line boundary on a plan that you're working to. So placemaking now is so much bigger than just creating a building that somebody's going to occupy. Yeah, I suppose you're saying there that it's not about plonking a new community into a space, it's about how that then interacts with the spaces around it. That is exactly that. If you're doing your best work, then it's meshing in with the existing community. And if you think about how cities have evolved over the years, that's a constant thing. And the most successful cities are always regenerating. It's not a one-off event and then everything settles and it's left. They're always dynamic and moving and they only work if they connect in. And the truth of it is, is that if you don't achieve that, commercially, it's never as successful. And how do you know when you've created a really great place? Probably, if I can draw on examples, the work we've done on Chapel Street in Salford, just up the road from where I'm sat here in New Bailey, when we first started on that, very, very few people walked down that street, which sounds utterly crazy, bearing in mind there's a a university at one end of it with 18,000 students as a resident community, but very few people walked down. Now, it's a bustling street, which... Pre-COVID, businesses were thriving, ground floor businesses. There wasn't a ground floor business other than one off licence. There wasn't really a ground floor business there. The one business that was there was an accountant that had all the windows sealed. So you know that you've changed a place when you see that activity, you see people investing in it. And I have this saying that I tend to troop out with these things. In property, people tend to think of investors as being pension funds and what have you. Yes, they are, and they're a very important part of what you do. But the most important investor is the person who sets up their first business. They scrimp and scrape for that first deposit for the home, or even you know renting a home and invest in living room and make it theirs. They are really important. And when you've got those investors, mm. you're really onto something. I suppose with that, there's a massive sense of responsibility as you said there, the responsibility of that person who may never even have had a business before who has scrimps and scrape because they like and buy in and feel inspired by the place that you've made and they want to be a part of that place. You've got to have all the right foundations in place to help that person to succeed, haven't you? So how does that responsibility kind of weigh for you? 
if you started a scheme and that was your main focus, it would frighten you to death. So it's like any long-term piece of work, you look at the process. So step-by-step, you get there and you get, you, you get to your outcome. I think what you do do, though, is you do get heavily invested personally. So that's when the responsibility bites. That's when you know the when the occupiers start to take the space. And there's an example of that of again on Chapel Street where we developed the first building there, Vimto Gardens, and we create some ground floor restaurants. And Beppe, a guy from Rome, but living over in over here, living in the former hospital across the road was working as a waiter and decided to set up his first restaurant but didn't have the business skills necessarily or the implementation skills the better way of putting it because he's he's turned out to be a fantastic businessman but that's when you get really heavily invested because you want to see that succeed so you know quite often family friends will say how do you god it must keep you awake at night a building that's 40 50 million crazily it doesn't but at the personal level it tends to do I can totally relate to that. I suppose also when you're starting out with the idea to regenerate a new area, you've got to think about not just the people who are going to be there today, but the generations to come. So how do you actually even think that far ahead in a way to make the decisions about what you need to do to start? The entirely honest answer is you don't necessarily. What you do is you clearly have a master plan that you have faith in and that's been consulted on and that people buy into. And that guides you. That's where you head off. But times change, places change, and dynamics change. And you need to be invested personally and as a business in a place to sense those changes and react to them. And that's when a master plan will evolve. I suppose that's my point about cities always regenerating. What you do will respond as you go along, and then you'll hand on the baton to the next, whoever that is. And developers aren't the sole controllers of regeneration. Everyone's involved in regeneration. Beppe was involved in regeneration on Vimto Gardens. First person people to buy a townhouse there when people said nobody would ever come back and live on Chapel Street. They are part of the regeneration and they then put their own stamp on it. For example, just before COVID hit, every year we sponsor the Sounds from the Other City music festival around Chapel Street with Islington Mill. And the residents of Timekeeper Square, which is a townhouse scheme, which we're really, really proud of, that we developed, grouped together and linked in with Islington Mill to host one of the Sounds from the Other City events. So they bought into it and you've no longer got any involvement in that. Mm. But seeing that you know, clearly is a really fantastic thing. Mm, it's really organic, isn't it? How that mm. then takes its own life. Correct. And as you say, people create their own community around that. You're a born and bred Greater Mancunian. You were born in Oldham and you've lived in Wigan for a huge chunk of your life. How did you get inspired to even get involved in placemaking? Because you obviously didn't know what that was even when you started out on your career. What's the journey been? Yeah, quite quite a quite an interesting one, I suppose. I was born in Oldham, raised in Oldham. And it's funny, now I'm absolutely and utterly embrace myself as being a Mancunian in the Greater Mancunian sense. Back then, when I was in my teens, say, I suppose before the music scene really hit, which, you know, was was life-changing for a lot of people around the kind of late 80s, early 90s, there was a real gulf between places like Oldham and Manchester. And actually, I'd come in on the number 82 down Oldham Road and go into town, as we call it. Even then, that wasn't town. Oldham was town. But you came in and, God, you know, it was not a place that you really wanted to be. But I suppose the music stuff and the regeneration of the then of the city really, really changed that. And, and I think the combined authority and everything else that's gone on. So, yeah, I didn't really see myself as that until until later on. I saw myself as being from Oldham. And But how did I get into property? So, sporting-wise, you do two things in Oldham. It's either rugby league or football. And rugby league was my sport. I'm family played and what have you. And I was obsessed with it. And that led to me... Um, putting it ahead of every educational achievement you'd want to grasp in the, in the hope that somebody might pay me to play it, which was probably a bit, a bit misguided, frankly, but there you go, young and ambitious. So my dad, uh, mum and dad, my, dad, my dad's a plasterer, or was a plasterer, and my mum was a sewing machinist, so they put me through sixth form 
which was actually quite unusual. You know, there's not many people went through sixth form at that point, but went through sixth form and I canned my uh, A-levels and they said, right, lad, that's it. You've had your support, now you're 18. You need to start earning a living. So he said, and um, a mate of mine's got a job in Saddleworth and you can go and work with him. And this was going into the winter and I kid you not, it was on the side of the of a, a, a valley in Saddleworth converting an old barn and it was freezing and I looked around and not wishing to be unkind but I saw guys there really struggling in the cold but having to earn a living and you know it was, in, it was actually inspiring in a, in a way but they wouldn't have had that they they were they were very much what you're doing here you'd have sod what you're doing working on a building site and um, I came home after the first night and I'd always worked on sites with my dad so it wasn't you know it wasn't fresh but it was a wake-up call um, a couple of my mates were at Central Lanks and I rang them and said how do I get on I've always wanted to do building because it's something to do with building because that's my family little anecdote but when we were selling a house when I was a kid my mum said look you have to wait in for the surveyor and the surveyor was in there for all the 15 minutes and mum told me that it had cost 150 quid for this survey and I thought I'll, I'm older I'll have some of that <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah I rang my mates and I got on to a HND in, in building studies um, 12 months afterwards so I carried on working on building sites till then and that was it I never I, th- I will never ever 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 take anything for granted again and I uh, just committed to it to the point I didn't even play rugby in the first year at uni because I thought it would just drag me into back into the old ways so I, I completely canned playing rugby and any, anything any sport and just focused so and then gradually I, I went through and funnily enough I got my first job when I was working in the summer I finished uni I was working on a project to the on Oldham Street the old alcohol rehab- rehabilitation place not not far from across from night and day and that I got the phone call at the place telling me I'd got a job as a surveyor in Lytham I then worked my way up through through development and joined AMEC in well it was for 14 coming up 15 years ago quite a, a convoluted journey but there you go so I can only imagine that you really feel empathy for the contractors who are out on your building sites then in the middle of the winter. I try to. I think it's really important. I think it's on one of your values. You acknowledge people, you say thank you. So I've seen too many people when you know, there's a guy at the bottom of the stairs with a plasterboard on, on his arm and he stands aside to let you walk down because you've got a suit on and a, and a hat, but probably more realistically because he's got good values. And I've seen people just walk past and I'll always, always, always stop and say mm-hmm. thanks. Mm-hmm. And how are you getting on? And that, that I try to hold myself to account to as, as, as much as possible because that's work. What, what I do is it can be quite stressful, but it ain't graft. That's so good to hear. And, and you're right, because there's an army of people, aren't there, behind every building you look at. It's not just yeah. the person who's had the idea. It's the people who have actually built that and put that together and created it. And One of the best things about what we do is when you, without people knowing it, you hear people taking ownership of it themselves. So, mm. as you say, I live in, I live in Wigan. Um, Wigan by marriage, um, it is. And, um, <laughs> not heard of that place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got that's it. Um, I lost the argument quite quickly about because <laughs> we met at university and we're, we'd moved back to, and I lost the argument. Um, as I lose most arguments, quite frankly. But we, um, so my train comes in obviously from Wigan through to Salford Central. And if the kids are with me, I bore them to death. You see that building there? You see that building there? Like before I started development with a wife, you see that pitch there? I played rugby there. Obviously, often I'll be on my own. And the number of times I've heard somebody, a family in front, and the mum has said to the kids, oh, that's your dad's building. And it turns out they were a joiner in there or a scaffolder or that's your mum's building. She, she's a QS at Bowman Kirtland or whatever. And I'm not a particularly sentimental person, as friends will attest. And again, my wife probably attest, but that really brings a smile to your face. And you, it's, it's how it stopped everything, stop you tapping them on the shoulder going, brilliant. That's oh, great. Yeah. So, Sorry. do you know that is so true? And um, I've got a little story here. So, I have mentioned this man on podcast a couple of times. He was our next door neighbour in Salford, Stan Ogden, great name, married to Joyce. She worked at Colgate Palmolive and he was a glazier. 
and he's my godfather, he's just the funniest person in the world. And he put all the glazing into Furnace House in um, oh, yeah. Salford Keys a lot. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he led on that. And then one day I was, well, I just started in my second job in PR and I was in Brazenose House in Lincoln Square. And I was walking to work in the morning and I saw Stan he was putting the glazing into the building next door and he was with some some younger lads and he was waving at me and I went over and he and I gave him a big kiss and a hug mm. and he went I just want to bet and I said what's that and he said I told all these lads here that see that woman walking towards me I bet you she'll come over and give me a massive kiss and a hug <laughs> that's brilliant that but brilliant. he was like he used to go around the city and go, that's my building. Yeah. I've, I've put the, and that, it's yeah. fantastic, isn't it? It's, it's your legacy. I love it. I absolutely, yeah. absolutely love it. That. It is <laughs> fantastic. Like I say, the kids don't. The kids no. hate it. In fact, if we go, sometimes I'll deliberately, God, I, I shouldn't say this, but sometimes if we're coming into town, but we're going Oxford Road end, sometimes <laughs> I've looked at the timetable because we can get a train that way if we need to do and deliberately said oh there's no trains we'll have to go into Salford Central and walk across (laughs) (laughs) so so I could I could see what's going on and I can bore them again (laughs) see that building (laughs) well my kids the same I've done the same I've driven into Manchester so many times or we were in town and and like the kids go here she goes again (laughs) it's one of mum's buildings So let's talk about Salford and obviously very close to my heart because I grew up there. I was born in Manchester, but I grew up in Salford. I can relate to what you're saying about Chapel Street because my first job was on the Crescent and I then had a job in Ganders Go South, which is in Barton Arcade. So I walked down Chapel Street two or three times a week to my bar job and my mum hated me going down there at night in the dark. There was, as you say, I think there's an off licence, a news agent and accountants with all of the bars at the window. So it's incredible to see the change in that period of time. So you've been involved from the start there, though, haven't you, at Salford Central? It's 12 years ago you were involved in that project. And it's a partnership, isn't it, with a number of people. So just tell me a little bit more about the history there. Everything Muse does is in partnership. That's a term that's banded around a lot these days to mean many different things. But we do genuinely work in partnership. There's very, very few schemes we work on where we're on our own. And we signed a development agreement with Salford City Council and the idea was Salford for years, and I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying this, tinkered with the Chapel Street area. So a little bit of public realm here, a blue plaque there, a, a clean up here, but nothing that really changed the underlying issues. And to be fair to them, they grasped the nettle. They spotted the expansion of the city centre, that being Manchester city centre. But when I, when I refer to the city, I refer to it as one thing mm. uh, personally, but to define it. So spinning fields coming down to the Irwell. And then they spotted that as an opportunity because what's now New Bailey was just a sea of surface car parking. And then underneath the arches across the viaducts, you had Chapel Street, which was a really deprived area. I mean, um, one of the streets that had the highest car crime in Greater Manchester when, when we got involved. So, but they grasped the nestle and said, well, why, don't, why can't we take the value that could be created next to spinning fields and then reinvest it into Chapel Street and do something on a scale? And it's something I'm I'm quite proud of, but sometimes it's frustrating that we don't perhaps get the recognition for what we've done. So there's 50 acres and 50 acres of a city centre. That's really, really unusual. The King's Cross rightly is lauded for, you know, the change into that area of, of London. You know, this is a similar scale. I'm probably equally proud that we've just got on with it. That's a large part of what we do. We just We just get on with it. So I've been working on it 15 years and I've got lifelong friends here now and, and it's it's had its challenges and it still has its challenges and it still has its moments and when you're working in an area that's so kind of passionately invested in the outcome then you're not always going to see eye to eye with people but I'd like to think we're broadly speaking the people that matter the people that are in and around we're, res- we're respected for it and that's if we can take that away then we're not done bad. That's so true, isn't it, about that you can't always see eye to eye, but in actual fact, when you've got a really good relationship that you've invested in, that's okay. That relationship can stand the the bumps in the road. The most important word sometimes in development is because. Mm. And developers, are we included at times, are too quick to not use the word because. And in a consultation or when people 
want something out of a scheme the word because is really really important because you're explaining and you're setting out for people look these are the challenges I have so we we can only do so much and this is for these reasons because we're going to do this and I think if you can embrace that word particularly around you know consultation then yeah people walk away and they'll shake their head but they do tend to by and large then go away and think well I've had an audience and I understand it I've not just been told and I've not been told late I've not been told this is how it's going to be um so yeah I think that's but you do you do try to you know line sometimes and you don't always get it right but then when could you ever pick a point in time in Manchester and say that's when it was perfect it wasn't because they're affected by so many dynamics and we're going through one now aren't we you know, the point yeah. of the biggest dynamics for, for, for decades we're going yeah. through and it will change, you know, things will change. What what Manchester and Salford are brilliant at is embracing it, not going, you know, covering their eyes and saying, not interested in that. We've just been talking about relationships. How important are those relationships and partnerships for you to be able to deliver what you do? You, you've got to create trusted relationships with so many different stakeholders and people. So from the people that can help you deliver it on a, say, a public sector level to all your contractors, architects, and then your community have got to buy into what you want to deliver. How on earth do you navigate working those relationships and nurturing them? They are critical without relationships, and it's kind of a really throwaway line, but the truth of it is, is without them, you'll, you'll achieve nothing in what, in what we do. We can't do it. can't do anything in isolation at all. They are tricky at times because you're right, there will be, there'll be a relationship with somebody on one side and there needs to be a relationship with somebody on another side and they are diametrically opposed. They're just... But I, this is where I think this word because comes in. So long as you are open and you explain what it is you're trying to achieve and, you, and what you do... And I think sometimes you have to keep a lid on this, but I think if people see that you're passionate about it as well, I think that you're interested... I think that that can take you a, a long way. And I don't mean, you can't force that. You can't pretend. You've got to be, you know, you've really got to, to, to get involved in a place. You know, you've got to be seen there in regen terms. I, I think it's really important that you're seen there not in a suit at times. That you, like everyone else, want to get involved in going for a meal or or just social events and you pick up so much from that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. relation, a lot of relationships, we forget that we are very social animals and that's where a lot of relationships are formed I, I tend to find then that the best relationships whether it's with the community or all the way up to say Paul Dennett the city mayor or they're probably best formed outside of a formal meeting and I think people see that you're involved but you can't fake it especially here yeah. in you know, Manchester and Salford I tell you, no chance absolutely <laughs> see straight through you and right I've had that I think growing up in in the area you know really really helps because you kind of it's embedded in you isn't it it's it's who you are yeah. and just being straight about stuff I think well you're practically Salfordian now I'd say anyway I think I think, I think, I think nobody would so, yeah. argue that to be honest I think so <laughs> I think I think so I'd, I'd love to in terms of ambition, I'd love to work in Oldham. I'd definitely want to do a, do a, do a scheme in Oldham oh, and absolutely. Uh, make a difference. Liam Manson, who is owner of Didsbridge Inn, said on his podcast that we always can see a bullshitter in Manchester and Salford, and that is so true. So that makes me think about how interesting, and I've, I've been to a lot of planning consultation meetings, how interesting some of your meetings must be when you go into the communities in Salford and ask their opinion. So what kind of experience has that been for you? I like them. First thing I'm going to say is it's a bit easier for us because generally speaking, where we work, we've been invited. So there's already a, you know, a need. Now, whether people across the community agree with that, need, that's a different discussion, but nobody can deny, to use Salford as an example, when you've got a street of derelict and burnt out buildings, and a community that's getting nothing out of the area. So you had six lanes of traffic coming down Chapel Street. So you've got all the downsides of a city centre, got none of the benefits. So that's easier for us than it perhaps is for some others. But I, I really like the discussions. You can't beat stood at an easel, you know, with a board up, 
pointing and explaining it and people saying well do you know what was there before well no 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 well you see that bit we used to nip through there to get to there and you do take ideas from that you know so I love that sort of thing but yeah we do have some weird and wonderful discussions the best example and it's it is it's the best form of flattery this ever the best kind of backhanded compliment however you want to describe it so again when we first started up there we had the obligatory which I, I stopped now I won't have on any of the schemes I'm involved in but I was a bit younger and a bit more naive then the obligatory kind of artists impressions of families you know holding kids with balloons in their hands walking down you know walking down Chapel Street and someone ballroom dancing in the middle of a public realm and <laughs> And and you know and so you spend ten minutes explaining. Well, I know I know it's not going to be quite like that, um, but you know people did generally come in and say pavement cafes, no chance. The only drink that's drunk on here, lad, is Carlsberg Extra or whatever. Mm. Um, so no chance that's going to happen. And people genuinely saying, look, can we just have somewhere to shop? Because after walk at the moment, I have to walk all the way down through Regent Road to Sainsbury's, um, and it's dark. And I just what if I if I just want you know a few bits, I've got nowhere really to go. And so that's where we started. I remember getting a call from it's Karen Hurst actually who's at Maple Grove now, but was at Salford City Council before, ringing me saying, "Phil, Phil, Phil, there's somebody outside." having a drink on a, on, a, on a patio table and it was like of all the things we've achieved and we both like wow we did it we did it um, oh that's such a good story and then just before we did the co-op at, at took um, one of the units and in Vimto and we thought that was great because it gave a kind of re- cost effective kind of supermarket if you like food store local store but uh, ethically it just seemed to fit with what we were, we were trying to do so we you know, we were talking to court for a while and you got his LinkedIn mill behind and what have you. So it all felt, that felt like the right operator. And I remember that a rumour went round that um, Tesco were taking it. And I got, honestly, I got more than one email from people who'd been to consultations before asking for just a supermarket saying, what are you, going for? What, what, what are you selling out to Tesco for? We want an independent and that's the biggest, yeah. that's, you, you know you're starting to change the yeah. place when people's aspirations are changing. We had the same with it. Some, somebody got a rumour, there was a rumour that Cafe Nero, we don't want a Cafe Nero. <laughs> yeah, people were crying out for a coffee <laughs> before. So yeah, consultations are interesting and it's good to look back and think about some of the conversations you had and then what, what happens afterwards. Again, talking about responsibility, massive there. I do remember going to a consultation with Mike Horner years and years yeah. ago from you so it was AMAC then there probably were some buns thrown to be honest at that meeting and it was pretty scary for a young person it was one of the first ones but it's an importance of listening isn't it and listening to voices and nobody can tell you about their community better than the people who live there but possibly their generations have lived there so it's not just their voice they're speaking with sometimes it's the voice of their parents or the grandparents and it might look like an eyesore to the outside but it's our eyes so we love it how do you balance that again it's that's a really really good point so I think you um you just have to be it's going to sound really glib but it, it kind of sympathetic to the area you're working in so again and I lean on this a lot for examples but on Vimto we had for anyone familiar with it it fronts onto Chapel Street which in turn fronts onto Salford Cathedral so fantastic views mm. St. Philip's Church, you know, really stunning views from the apartments. But at the back was um, Islington Estate, or is Islington Estate. And the easiest thing to have done, and the kind of stereotypical developer thing to have done, would have just lumped all the parking at the back on a surface car park, you know, your bins, your loading, and fronted everything looking onto onto Chapel Street. But But we refused to do it. We wanted to knit this back in. What a lot of people told us was what they missed, although they didn't necessarily miss the, you know, so the older generation didn't necessarily miss the slums of you know, the area. They didn't miss that, but they certainly missed the fact that there was activity, that the street fronts and what the, uh, the slum clearances did was remove a lot of that. So we put the streets back. 
So we, we invested and, and we, we actually, on a very strict commercial basis, we lost money on the houses that we developed that fronted the school, that put the street back. And we're doing the same now with, with Atelier, which is another scheme further down Chapel Street. So that, and they looked onto the community. So it, what it wasn't doing was sticking two fingers up at the, at the community saying, well, you're not, you're not part of this anymore. You stay over there, we'll stay over here. It was trying to kind of knit those back in. But what, what we haven't really spoken about before is we said um, at the time, we said to Salford, I mean, so it was 20-odd million pounds investment, Vimto, and we said, we're not doing it. Even though signed an agreement, we're not doing it unless you invest in your place as well. And they went off, and very proactive Salford always have been, went off and secured decent homes money and invested in the Islington estate. Now, there are two very good reasons for that. One is we just couldn't afford for the community to feel like it was them and us because that's just going to store up problems. Yeah. It's the right thing to do, but it's going to store up problems as well. And commercially, you know, you, you want the, the whole area to improve. You know, if people are going to come back to that point of investor, you know, that person buying the first apartment, they want to be putting a deposit down thinking this is at least going to hold its its value. And if everything's being invested in, then it's going to do that. So that's it, really. It's recognising what was there before and then trying to take the best of that and put it back, or at least recognise it. Put it back sounds a little bit backward-looking, but if you look at a lot of our street patterns, if you look back at historic maps and where we're going back to, a lot of it is very distinct street patterns. Spinningfield's a good example of that. Yeah, so it's being sympathetic to the best bits of what worked before and potentially giving communities stuff back that they may have missed in maybe kind of the 60s, 70s style of build. You talked about having formed some friendships and relationships over the years with lots of different people through your work in Salford and and clearly that's put you in a great position then to work on the next massive project which is Salford Crescent and again as I said my first job was on the Crescent so I'm well we're delighted to be involved in working with you on that so you have actually announced this already but just give the listener some idea of what we can hope to see and the ambitions for that area of Salford over the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is incredibly exciting and it was, or it has been a great development to get involved in, primarily because the council and the university ran a very strict competition to select the partner and we're up against some very good developers in the city. So it made us, the easiest thing in the world would have been to rely on, well, we've got good relationships, but those guys have as well. Mm-hmm. And we've already done this here. Well, if we just repeat the same thing, you get the same output, you know, that time on a saying so um so it really kind of lifted us a level competing in it and i'm, I'm so, so for that reason i'm re- really excited that we're involved it, it's gonna be it is gonna be different so if you think of the crescent wonderful kind of parade that looks out on some of the greenest parts of the city in the meadows and then peel park and yet it's all a bit unloved and despite a few years back the traffic being calmed, it still feels like the traffic is the dominant bit. That isn't sustainable in, in both terms of, of the word, in, in the green sense and the viable sense. And what a lot of people don't realise is the Crescent is twice as big as it would have been. So part of it is actually a flyover and part of it is the original, you know, the original road. So part of the intention is we're going we're gonna to try and get rid of the flyover bit so just completely reduce down the crescent so that it opens up properly, you know, the fall down into the meadow so you're connected. And God, if, if this last year has taught us anything, it's the importance of green space in our city centres and, and connecting to that green space and making the most of that green space. So now that's one of the things we'll be doing. Um, Salford Crescent Station is... You know, I spent years and years and years of student life and beyond that stood waiting to change a train from one location to another. And it's, you know, it's, you know being blunt, it's horrible. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, nice. at a low, it's at a low level. It's just not. So we're not going to really change the, the topography of it, but it also just cuts that area completely in half. So if you're in, you know, Pendleton um, and parts of Broughton and, and Charlestown ne- next to it, you'll feel so disconnected from the mm. rest of the city centre because it's just a massive infrastructure. Mm. So part of the idea is that we're actually going to park over it, park as in parkland, 
to put a, a lid right over the top, which will then connect the university into the community and you know just create these proper ways of ways through. Now that's really ambitious. That's you know that's that's not been done that often in the country. So, but but we've got a lot of support for it, and then that in turn will connect into a new innovation area that is all around the Salford University campus because Salford, I suppose a bit, little bit like us, Salford University do a lot of good things but don't shout about it. And, you know, they and Salford Royal and then down to Media City, that's, you know, you talk about innovation, there's a yeah. huge amount going on around there. And, and it's all divorced. It's all divorced from the community. It's divorced from the rest of the city. So just tying all that back in and, you know, being being very simplistic about it, you think about it the, the natural expansion of the city center that that's in not in the only direction but in that direction mm. it's it makes perfect sense mm. you know the city got to deansgate and it stopped for decades and decades it then got to the Irwell through spinning fields and now st john's it then got we've then got it to chapel street through new bailey and chapel street so it's now at that old field road adelphi and then the, the next that's the next yeah. leap um, yeah. so we're really really excited about it but it's you know it's 10-15 years some some of what we're you know to use one of your values we're, we're planting some trees now that I won't see grow because it'll take that long but if you to go right back to one of your original questions if you started out worrying about that you wouldn't you wouldn't take a step forward no you're yeah, so true and you're right my dad used to drop me off on Frederick Road when I was working on the Crescent and had to walk from there right down to the Crescent then you got that then from the Crescent into Manchester. It was desolate. I mean, that part's not changed yet. And I was never really aware from even working on the Crescent about all that green space. And I knew it was there because I'd walked from there backwards to my dad's factory. But it's absolutely stunning, isn't it? And we're just not getting any benefit from that whatsoever. There's a load of geese out, but apart from that, there's just nobody benefits from that that blue and green space. And it, with a good walk from Manchester Town Hall, it's 15 minutes. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, we all know this. We've got such a walkable city. We just need to focus on some of the connections. And yeah. that's, again, that's that point about Regen not just being about two-metre boundary outside because that's what you get paid for. It's about expanding and connecting and looking beyond that. And, and the real skill and, you know, the skill of some of our competitors has been to look, you know, to look beyond that and think, yeah, well, okay, I could stop here and I'll probably at this point earn the same amount of money but if I'm going to do this right and I'm going to embed what I want to do what I'm doing so it doesn't just become something that gets redone again in 20 years then I need to reach that bit further and that's again that's where you know the leadership of both Manchester and Salford has been has been fantastic that they're prepared to look beyond the existing what is this going to mean for them and what is this going to mean for that and just just pushing the boundary a little bit further and and taking that opportunity otherwise you do end up with barriers i quite often use this analogy but it's not a very good one but if you can imagine before we started here this you know an alien flies over the top of manchester and salford and it looked down and saw spinning fields and manchester and then saw this sea of car parking it is what's gone on there yet there was a there was a barrier and it's just we're now starting to break those things down and and look beyond and and what Manchester are doing with the Northern Gateway and and what have you is a you know really example of that and that that all started you know with some of the work we and others did in the Northern Quarter so and then just talking very quickly about the Northern Quarter what an example of successful regeneration that is we were brought in on that by actually AMEC as was and Crosby Homes. And they stood us in front of the Smithfield Market, which wasn't there, and said, think of it as a, a Manchester's Greenwich Village. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go off and come back with some ideas. Yeah. And that's a massive vision. But I was there last weekend. And even, you know, the lockdown that we're in currently, it was buzzing. It was fantastic. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's been brilliant to be, in, to be involved in that. That transformed our business, I'd like to say, as much as it's transformed the area, because yeah. that's really changed our business from a if you like a traditional developer to a you know real urban regenerator working in partnership and you know you talk about longevity that we got involved in that it was just 2000 and we finished the Makima refurb and handed the keys to, to Nick Johnson what it was about three years back so you, know, you look at the life of that you know, that's 
just yeah it, it, and it really keeps evolving is. doesn't it and it, and it keeps back, evolving back yeah yeah i think we've been really good at that but that stemmed in my view from a civic leadership because you know you talk about values that set the values yeah. that you you work together we're all working for the good of yeah the city and you kind of you get you follow that and it's, it's it's easier to be like that than than to be difficult anyway that's you know that's life isn't it i'd far rather be agreeable and and working collaboratively than on my own because i know i you know, i'm not good at anything i wouldn't achieve anything on my own 100 percent. so howard bernstein definitely set the values for collaboration didn't he in the city yeah. and his team and obviously sir mm. richard but that has set the tone and is one of the reasons why Regen's been so successful. And I think it's a real Manchester trait generally that we do all think about planting trees and that we are not selfish. We'd rather make some compromises ourselves for the greater good and the legacy. So just talking about values... Yours are very clear and I can see how much responsibility you take. And the same with Muse Developments. As you say, you've never really shouted about stuff. You've gotten on, got the job done, moved on to the next thing and haven't asked for the, the plaudits. What values have driven you in your life, would you say? Like I said, I come from a very working class family where hard work was always instilled in you. Dad used to work six, seven days a week. Mum used sometimes had two jobs to put food on the table. And as with all families, you have your faults, but graft is a non-negotiable that you work hard mm. and I think I've always sat well with me um, but then you take as you grow up I think you the best people take values from other people so and are very aware all the time so you don't it's not just one thing that you are and from being born or from being aware until you die so through sport I've worked with various people coaches predominantly you've had massive impacts on me a guy you know a couple of guys one who used to run a gym that I trained at in Oldham that absolutely instilled in you that hard work will will beat talent that doesn't work I know it's a a cliche but it just made sense it made sense and then another coach um who you know we mum and dad didn't drive so he he would pick me come he was the coach and he'd come and pick me up and he'd take me to training take me to games he had no reason to do that but he was a mate and he gave you know and and we're still mates now he came to our wedding and that kind of formed you so those things you know those really earthy things I, as I've got older I've kind of come to see I, th- I suppose values are what you are but I'm, I'm just as interested in culture in that culture being is what then what you do and I think if you can get if your values are as close as possible to your culture so the values are things that you do right be easy to write values and set values that's why I, I really like yours they're all things that are actually turn into action not some highfalutin mm-hmm. thing that you can't measure yourself against and um, so those sorts of things I think are the real earthy hard work saying thank you being responsible holding your hand up if you make a mistake but not then just sitting back and going, I've made a mistake, saying, and this is what I'm going to do about it. Mistakes are the best thing in the world. They don't feel like it at the time, but that's where you learn. If you didn't, exactly. you'd just do the same same stuff, wouldn't you? Absolutely. I love that hard work will be talent that doesn't work. I think we need to add that to ours. In actual fact, it, you're right, it kind of does reflect the fact that anybody... Well, my dad used to say to me, there's plenty of room at the top because there aren't many people who can be bothered to actually do the work that you need to get to the top. You don't have to be the cleverest. Obviously, we've talked about legacy a few times and there's no doubt that what you're doing in Salford and what you've done, you know, Northern Quarter as as, as an organisation and elsewhere is leaving a legacy and it's leaving great communities for future generations. Is there anything else on your list that you've not got to yet that in terms of legacy you want to do? I... Personally, yeah, a couple of things. Like I've already said, I'd, I'd love to be involved in some work in Oldham. I think also as I've got older and you know as, as I'm you know paid better, there's more I can do. I think to try and inspire others from my sort of background to get involved, um, to get involved in this industry because it's a it's a brilliant industry. And actually, when you get in, there aren't that many barriers, but it's it's breaking through your own perception that you can't get in 
and and it is you know traditionally as as you'll know it was it's been a, a an industry of where you know very much founded on relationships and friendships and there's a, there's you know, dare I say it, a degree of, there was in the past a degree of nepotism in that but I I don't really see that now and you know I think um, just inspiring people to think actually you know that lad from a two up two down in in Oldham who went to you know Brazil which was one of the roughest schools in the country let alone Oldham um, he's done it how did he do it well put simply just grafted and I and I think just I'd like to do more of more of that um more of trying to trying to get that message out so we started to do a bit with Salford schools with the um and just just explaining those things and you know, I'd like to do more more in my hometown or, or my adopted town and that's even more important than ever now isn't it so that would be a great legacy So we're going to finish with a quick fire round. See how Salfordian monk okay. you are. <laughs> As a placemaker, what's your favourite place in Greater Manchester? My favourite place. So it's not ne- well. It's not necessarily a placemaking thing, but my favourite place is and always was, and I don't get back often as often as I should. But you know, wandering around Saddleworth is 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 brilliant as a as a place, as a place to relax. In terms of, you know, what, what you might refer to as a kind of modern regen type place where, you, yeah, you can't beat the Northern Quarter, can you? It, it's just, it's got everything. And, and what, what I love about it is there's, a, there's an element of nostalgia in it as well because, like I say, I used to jump off the bus at, um, at the end of Oldham Street and going going to our flex and what have you um so i've seen it i've seen it i've seen it change but i've seen it stay the same is that yeah. i know that's yeah. a real contradiction yeah. but thankfully you can i can still recognize some of the stuff the the, the, the beauty of it now is i don't have to um, worry about you know um, my safety getting off that bus because being a 13 14 year old in what 86 something like that wasn't wasn't a great no. place to be really I but it is that. now yeah absolutely yeah i love the northern quarter favorite building in manchester uh, great northern um not not uh, and with apologies to its owners not not for what it's become but i think if you want to if i uh, quite often you know if we work with architects or whatever from out of town i'll take them i'll walk up to the top of uh, key street um and we'll, um, I'll stand them there and look down the Great Northern facade, you know, the original good sh- kind of shed type stuff, and it is stunning. And I just think it's a stunning piece of architecture in its own right. I think it, it's so solid and confident, it's, and it, it tells, I think that tells the story of Manchester as good as anywhere ever will. And I also quite like the fact that, you can see in then in the ground floors how the city's changed. So you do see the you know the coffee shops and what have you. So that as a as a frame, I think is fantastic. I'm not like I'll be honest. I'm not a great fan of what happens beyond it. Then, and I think you know they, 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 the owners themselves are, are looking at that at the moment. But that that as a piece of architecture, I think is is Ma- is Manchester. I think for so. Me. I've taken that photograph so many times over the past 12 months when Manchester's been completely yeah. quiet, standing in the middle of Deansgate yeah. and there's yeah. no cars yeah. with yeah. that that shot down the road and it yeah. sums Manchester up to me. Yeah. It's a wonderful building. Mm. Mm. What do you order at the Chippy? Ah, well, what do I order at the Chippy? So, um, it, fish and chips, it would have been, but then in Oldham it would have been pea soup on top, oh. but in Wigan it's pea wet. <laughs> which is the same it's the same thing is it it's, it's exactly the same thing but it was peas? mushy well the well the juice the juice <laughs> off it it's pea wet it's called so the the, the 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 juice that comes off and it's laid over the top and it's um it's gorgeous we oh, used to put, it, it was but it was known as pea soup in oldham so it's, right. it's the same thing pea wet right. it does, does what it says on the tin <laughs> nobody's ever said that's me in my life that's there you go revelation. there you go and which other developers or architects do you feel should be celebrated for helping to build the city? Um, you can't, I think you, you know, what Bruntwood and the Oglesby family have done in terms of investing in the city, you just, you know, is 
is uh, amazing. It's not not only in you know ownership of buildings, but you know their in, their investment in things that happen in the city as well. So they they, they you know, definitely um, you know should be should be recognised for that as they are and should be. And, and Chris is a real role model, and we're seeing that in in terms of what he's doing um, with United City and and everything else. So I would definitely say them um, architects. I wouldn't want to pick one because that's not what the city's about. I think the, any city's at its best when you've got a mix of architects working on it. Um, you know, the best ideas come from other people. And it'd be wrong, I think, and I'm genuinely not sitting on the fence, but it'd be wrong to pick one architect out. What I will say is, what is amazing now about the city is the best architects are drawn here. So they want to come and work here. And we had... Um, you know, make architects, which is Ken Shuttleworth, um, who's an amazing architect and a great person as well, has worked up with us here on New Bailey. And in terms of legacy as a scheme, you know, if we'd have stood up with our backs to the Marcadi 15 years ago and said, right, well, Ken Shuttleworth's practice is going to be working on buildings that are going to be occupied by you know, a top four law firm in the world and BT and HMRC and what have you somebody to shove me in the air well so <laughs> I think it's the fact that we get those people wanting now actively yeah. wanting to work yeah. in our city is is the best thing Phil thanks so much for joining me on We Built the City it's clear that you and your team at Muse have a deep sense of responsibility about creating legacy and communities for generations to come just can't wait to start working with you actually at Roland Ransfield. We are delighted to have been appointed. It's very close to my heart, as you know. And I can't wait to see some of that beautiful green and blue space being more accessible for the people of Greater Manchester. So thank you for helping us to build this city. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. Phil helped to build the city by understanding that hard work will be talent that won't. By putting people at the heart of the place and by understanding the importance of the word because. We Built This City is out every Thursday when you'll hear from another incredible Greater Mancunian. If you want to find more out about Roland Ransfield PR and you'd like some help in creating your legacy, please head to rdpr.co.uk for more information or give us a call on the same number we've had for 24 years, 0161. 236 Thank you and see you next time.